This week on WealthTrack, award-winning financial planner Mark Hurtazzo helps us prepare for the risk of black swan events, especially in the vulnerable years nearing or in retirement. When you're looking at people's risk profile, the risk reward, how much risk are they willing to take and what kind of expected return do you get for that? Um, those dynamics have changed dramatically. Mark Hurtazzo joins us this week on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. When we look back on this pandemic experience, what is going to stand out? Well, for me, it's a reminder that life-changing black swan events don't just happen once in a century. They are an ongoing reality. In the last 20 years, we have lived through 9-11, the global financial crisis, and a pandemic with the unintended consequence of rolling global economic lockdowns. On an investment level, all of these events have delivered a sharp hit to financial markets from which they have recovered, such as the resilience and strength of the U.S. capital markets and underlying economy. But on a personal finance level, the impact of these events can be much more damaging and long-lasting, particularly for individuals nearing retirement or in it, which is why we asked this week's guest to join us. Clients in those vulnerable years are his focus. He is Mark Cretazzo, a certified financial planner, founder, and senior partner of Macro Consulting Group, an independent wealth management firm established in 1992. Forbes has recognized Cortazzo as one of America's top wealth advisors, and he has been named a Barron's top advisor for 10 years, among many other recognitions. He is also a WealthTrack regular. I began the interview by asking Cortazzo to walk us through the conversations he has with clients about preparing for these black swan events. For our existing clients uh, that we've done a financial plan for, um, yeah, the last four years have been very good. And so many of them were ahead of schedule. And as we were updating and reviewing their plans, um, we were able to talk with them about de-risking. They didn't need to um, be as aggressive because they had more capital. And so uh, for people that we've been doing planning for, uh, I think we were able to get out ahead of that for some of them. And some of them said, you know, I'm, I'm okay uh, continuing to be more aggressive. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of extra to, to, to play with. Let's let it ride. For new people coming in, I think this is a really challenging um, environment to be in with valuations being very high relative to historic norms, um, very highly concentrated. uh, uh, The indexes are being driven by a a very small concentration of stocks um, that are at very rich valuations, great companies, but not uh, particularly cheap. Um, And interest rates have just collapsed. So... uh, you know, that risk-free component of your portfolio is, is not producing and doing what it needs to. So the conversation is a lot about um, understanding where we are and how some of the historical averages and historical norms um, are likely not applicable from this point going forward. 
explain what the historical averages and historical norms have been and what the, the new expectations are. I'll, I'll give you an example that we ran in prep preparation for the show. Um, we looked at uh, doing a Monte Carlo simulation, which is randomizes performance, where it may start off good and then be bad, you know, the performance of the market. Um, so it's looking at the volatility and the average returns, but it's, it's randomizing the sequence that, that occurs. And um, the beginning of the year, uh, reasonable expectations for fixed income, uh, if you were buying corporate bonds, you could have gotten three and a half percent and before the pandemic. And uh, if we ran uh, capital markets assumption on equities, uh, bonds earning three and a half percent, and you were drawing a 5% a year withdrawal from the portfolio, um, you had almost an 80% chance of not running out of money uh, for a 30 plus year retirement. So pretty good. Um, we looked at if there was a bear market right before uh, you started to withdraw, you still had a 50% chance of not running out of money. So, you know, coin flip, if, even if there was a bear market at the worst possible time. That's a good outcome. It sounds terrible um, well, to me if it was uh, a chance, uh, but, oh. but the point is your starting point uh, in a bear market is really critical. We, we, yes, we, we right? would not, we, we yeah. would not uh, be comfortable with a 50% uh, uh, coin flip for somebody's uh, planning, um, but it, it's still, Thank you. Even, even, a, even in a bad environment, it still wasn't devastating. It was still, you know, you had a fighting chance. Um, uh, with interest rates dropping to 1%, even if equities had the same expected rate of return, and there's a strong argument that their future expected rates of returns are lower based on the current valuations. Just by dropping interest rates from three and a half to one, um, your chance of running out of money uh, with no bear market uh, went to about 60% chance you'd run out of money. So only a 40% success rate. And if you had a bear market where your portfolio got hit 12 or 13%, not a major bear market, um, your chance of your money lasting your lifetime dropped to 17%. So more than 80% chance that you would run out of money by just that adjustment to interest rates being 2.5% lower than they were earlier this year. So is this a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds? Is that yep. what the portfolio is that these assumptions yep. are based on? Yep. So, so let, me, let me ask you about that because we have been in an era of falling interest rates now for 40 years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and certainly, um, you know, it, it took the global financial crisis to drop, drive them down to, you know, record lows at one point. And then it took the pandemic to yet again drive them down to historic lows and for a prolonged period of time. So, so that's what's really changed. So this is a huge challenge for financial planning, right? And, and why is it such a big challenge? Well, um, when you're looking at people's risk profile, the risk reward, how much risk are they willing to take and what kind of expected return do you get for that? Um, those dynamics have changed dramatically. And if I just give you a very, very simple example, you know, if we think stocks over the long, long term have averaged 10% a year and bonds, you know, money market yields are at, at when they were at 5%. If I had half my money in stocks and half my money in bonds, I was averaging 7.5% on my money and if bonds had zero or no volatility or money markets had zero or no volatility, I've got half the volatility and 75% of the return. It was a really right. good ratio. Um, 
Now we have interest rates at basically zero. So if I have half my money in stocks and half my money in bonds or cash, and, and that's earning zero, um, I'm getting half of the return and half of the volatility. I'm not getting a higher percentage of the expected rate of return relative to risk. So um, people are going to uh, need to make adjustments in their expectations or, um, or in their goals and their planning because that risk-free or, or safe part of your portfolio that used to be a pretty good workhorse, getting you half the market's expected rate of return with not very much risk and volatility, um, that, that ratio has just collapsed. How do you replace the bond component if you're getting basically very little income and you're also, because bonds are so expensive, yeah. that you're, you're also not getting the defensive characteristics that you used to get from bonds? What are the alternatives? It is um, very, very concerning to me some of the um, uh, pitches that we get from financial service firms, what we're hearing retail investors coming to us with, I'm just going to put my money in preferred stocks or, you know, these high yield bonds are paying so much more, I'm going to buy those. And um, taking a lot of risk at, at this point where we have this much uncertainty, um, I, I think is, is something that could really hurt our typical client, somebody who's five mm -hmm. years out from retirement or in retirement, you don't have time to recover from that. And so for someone who's gearing up to retire or is retired, um, I think it's a lot more important to focus on um, defense and getting through some of this uncertainty and regrouping and revisiting that as we have a little bit more of these unknowns known. It sounds like you're really talking about some pretty serious lifestyle decisions and that if, if your income expectations and your return expectations are going to be lower, which they have to be from the fixed income point of view, right. um, then you better cut back in your lifestyle, right? You got better cut expenses, the other side of the ledger. Well, you know, it depends on uh, what levers you're willing to pull. Um, you know, right. pe people historically have wanted to leave their capital to their beneficiaries. People historically have not wanted to access the, the equity or value in their home. And so um, these are all things that are different options and how they affect your probability of success. And, you know, people have primary goals and secondary goals. And if your primary goal is really, really important and your secondary goal is, eh, that would be nice if I could achieve that. Um, there are a lot of things people can do to improve their probability of success for that primary goal, but it might be to the detriment of that secondary goal. So the 60-40 portfolio, I mean, I've been hearing for years that it's really not a viable uh, model anymore anyhow. So I've been hearing that for a long time. What is a viable model as far as, you know, what, what's kind of a balanced portfolio these days? What does it look like? Um, we don't look at things in terms of a balanced portfolio. We look at things in terms of your risk allocation. You can avoid risk, you can manage risk, and you can transfer risk. And so that 60-40 portfolio fits in that managing risk component of your portfolio. Um, you used to be able to avoid risk and sit in the money market and earn that 2 or 3%, which, you know, if you had a million dollars, you know, 3% is 30 grand a year, you know, that, that actually could move the needle and get some expenses paid. Um, or you can transfer risk. And the most important thing we, we, we try to educate clients about uh, when we're doing planning for them is looking at the risk reward ratio. 
I think people get too caught up in just focusing on the risk in times of turmoil and focusing just on returns in times of, of exuberance. And um, you know, we're seeing that now, people coming in and saying, I don't want any bonds, just put me in stocks, I'm just gonna buy the S&P 500, or, or worse yet, I'm just gonna buy all growth stocks. Uh, and um, you know, look how great they've done and their expectations still continue. So the, the answer to that risk issue is, is really looking at um, perhaps transferring risk more. Uh, there's ETFs and funds and structured notes and things that hedge, you know, put some uh, more absolute protection around your portfolio where you have a floor uh, or you have a buffer that, that provides you a, a shock absorber against a big hit to the market. Um, annuity? That be an uh, immediate annuity? Uh, annuities are a different risk transfer. income annuity? Yeah. Uh -huh. So, so there, if you're transferring risk, we've talked in the past about transferring income risk for that for that person who needs to have a higher withdrawal rate. Um, this is a way of transferring that risk of running out of money to a financial service firm or insurance company. Um, but there are things that you can do to hedge and mitigate the risk on your principal. So, you know, structured notes, index CDs, buffered notes, these things have been around for decades. What's making them look quite a bit more attractive now is if you have a significant buffer that's likely to absorb the majority of hits in a market or you have a principal protection, um, if the market's down and you, and you just get your money back uh, because you had this protection, your lost opportunity cost is very little right now. Mm -hmm. You're earning the average jumbo money market uh, yield in the U.S. right now is five one hundredths of a percent. So right. if I made zero or I made five one hundredths of a percent over the next five years, if rates stay low, I, I'm pretty much at the same spot. But if this is something where I could make 10, 15, 20, 30 percent over that five year period, I've got a lot of upside and my downside's comparable to what a similar low risk uh, investments paying. Those are some things that are worth uh, exploring. I think that risk transfer in this very low interest rate environment has, has started to look more attractive and it could be principal protection, it could be income protection, um, but uh, it, it, it's starting to look like a more attractive piece of that risk pie because rates are so low. And, and again, the risk transfer vehicles Mark, mm -hmm. are what specifically should so, we talk to our financial advisors about? So um, there are things called structured notes and buffered notes. Um, what is a buffered note? Um, it, it's a financial instrument that's either issued by a bank, a brokerage firm, or an insurance company. If it's a bank, it's an indexed CD. If it's a, a, a financial service firm, it's a structured note. If it's a, issued by an insurance company, it's, a, it's an annuity. Um, but this is a principal protection or buffer annuity. Okay, it's not an so you get your annuity. principal back at the end of the term or whatever. Correct, so there are ones that are right. principal protected and then there's ones that are a buffer. So um, I'll give you an example of a buffered note. Uh, it's a five-year investment, it's tied to the S&P 500 and they're giving you a 30% buffer. So the first 30% of decline in the market, the financial service firm eats that. So if the market's down 18%, you get all your money back. If it's down 25%, you get all your money back. If the market's down 35% during that period, you're down five, because they only mm -hmm. buffer okay. the first 30. Um, the negatives of these things are, you don't get the dividend of the index, so you can do them to the S&P or EFA, lots of different indexes. Um, you're giving up the dividend. Um, you really should only look to invest in these things if you can stay till the full term. 
uh, because the liquidity and, and trying to get out of them early, it's messy. So this is you're going to commit the money, um, and they're going right. to cap. They're going to cap how much you can make. So a, a five-year uh, uh, buffered note that I just looked at uh, had about a 30% cap. So the market goes up 15, 18, 20%. You make that total return, not annual return. Uh, but if the market's up 50 during that five-year period, you're going to only make 30. They stop, they keep the rest, and they cap out. Um, credit quality of the company that is issuing this, very important because you know the guarantees yeah, so and the protection. Ask. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is uh, something I would suggest uh, getting professional guidance, uh, you know, in, in, you know, before executing on one of these, because uh, a lot of companies have all kinds of cute things that they try to build into these things. I would stick with plain vanilla structures that you understand. It's point to point. Here's your protection. Here's your cap. No moving parts. And um, if you need to pull out a calculator to figure out what you're going to get, if I tell you how much the market's up, I, I would be, uh, I'd, I'd be, yeah, <laughs> hesitant to, to act to do do one right. of those. Run for the hills. Let me ask you about another characteristic um, of the markets of the last ten years, and that is sure. the vast outperformance of growth over value stocks. And uh, again, value is you know traditionally been looked at as defensive. Uh, you get usually get dividends from value stocks, yeah. and um, and they are also you know defensive versus you know other equities. Um, so, so now what do we do? I think you do what you always do, and that is stay diversified and rebalance and don't gorge in one area. And so, you know, it's funny. I went back and looked at these numbers because, you know, I've been doing this since the late 80s. And if you look at um, the early 90s, uh, value for a three-year period did triple what growth did. So people look at that and they go, oh, the last one year, three year, value's done much better. I want to buy some of that. Well, of course, right. the next five years, growth did much better, um, did Double what value did for that, you know, for that next three-year period of time, and you know, you look at the 97, 98, 99 growth did phenomenally well, and people wanted to to buy that. From January of 2000 through the end of 2009, for a decade, I wish they called it expensive stocks versus value stocks. S&P 500 growth, the biggest growth companies in the country. Um, if you had a million dollars invested in that at the beginning of the year with dividends and everything reinvested, 10 years later, your million dollars was less than $750,000. A decade later, um, where value stocks wow. were up during that period of time. So chasing and buying these things at really expensive valuations, you know, you get a company like uh, you know, Microsoft, one of the biggest companies in the country. Um, uh, you know, we run a dividend portfolio uh, uh, that has very strong performance, uh, top Morningstar ranking. Um, you, we were able to buy a company like Microsoft years ago at an eight times earnings. Big company, great wow. company 10 years ago. And you know now it's trading at 30 times. And so great companies still love Microsoft. It's just what you pay for something matters. And great company and great investment aren't always the same thing. Um, and that same you know, 2000 example of when tech when growth was doing really well, if you bought Microsoft in January of 2000, it was about 16 years before the price regained what you bought it at in 2000. So you had you know, no price appreciation for 15, 16 years. Timing and positioning. I want to talk to you about those two aspects to management. Uh, you gave us examples of two portfolios 
one million dollars invested in each one starting in January of 2000, five percent uh, withdrawal rate, so that's five thousand dollars a month. And one was invested in the S&P 500 value stocks, uh, and one is was invested in the S&P 500 growth stocks. And so we're, we're looking 20 years later to August of 2020. The value portfolio delivered 3.5 percent annualized returns. Uh, you got to withdraw $1.24 million from it. Um, and at the end of the 20-year period, you were left with about $236,000. Uh, these same million dollars invested in the S&P 500 growth stocks, annualized return negative 5.5%. Uh, you are, were only able to withdraw $704,000, and you ran out of money in 2011. What's the lesson from those two portfolios? Yeah, the, the lesson is that um, you can't have such a high concentration in one area. And so that's what diversification does. You're always going to have something that's underperforming, and you're going to always have something that's doing better than your diversified portfolio. And you have to be okay with that. Um, but for people who want stability and need income from the portfolio, uh, rebalancing and doing the, the things that you should be doing, whether the market's up or down, um, even when you don't want to, is very, very important. So that, you know, think about this. If you were 65 years old, you bought the S&P 500 growth stocks, the biggest growth companies in the country in, in 2000, you were 75 years old when you ran out of money. Right. And that's the lesson. The lesson is what's more important to you, seeking maximum return or achieving your goals? We can help you build a solution that's going to help you achieve your goals. But when these things, these distortions happen and you see these articles and stories about people making all this money in cryptocurrencies and gold and leveraging themselves in real estate, you have to be okay with good for them. You know, I'm glad that worked out for them, but that's not mm -hmm. part of my plan. And, you know, the risk of failure is, is more important than trying to get a little bit higher rate of return for most of our clients. Right, Mark, given you know, two of the characteristics of our current era, which we were just talking about, which is historically low interest rates, and also um, how much growth has outperformed value, or value has lagged growth, however you want to put it, uh, what well, strategy are you advising clients follow now? Yeah, well, and just as a quick reminder, uh, you know, growth didn't outperform value by very much last year. It was, a, you know, value did over 30%. It had a phenomenal year last year. Um, right. I'm talking about like 10 years. Right. Yeah. And, and, re and a lot of that was this year as well. I mean, we had you know, value mm -hmm. is down and growth is up. And, and value does not do as well as growth in a declining interest rate environment. There are plenty of value stocks that their revenue is growing at 10% a year. Their profits are growing at 10% a year. They're earning a dollar a share. And those stocks are trading at... 10 and 15 times their earnings. And you've got a growth stock that's earning a dollar a share and their earnings are growing at 10% a year, but because it's in a different sector, people are trading, buying that for 30 times their earnings. Right. So relative valuations, relative risk reward, those things are very important. And the, the spread between value and growth is you know, among the highest gap we've ever seen. Um, I, I think that if you've had a big run up, take some money off the table, protect that, rebalance, make sure that you're prudent. And if your goals haven't changed and your risk profile hasn't changed, you shouldn't have radical fundamental changes to what your portfolio looks like.
one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what should we all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio? Well, I think right now, um, you know, if you're looking at large cap uh, value-oriented uh, U.S. companies, there's uh, you know a couple of ETs that, ETFs that uh, you know will track either the Russell 1000 value or the S&P 500 value. You could buy them very inexpensively. I think that if you don't have that in your portfolio, um, uh, it is worth serious consideration as a diversifier and a complement to some of the other positions. And, and I know that you don't want to recommend specific ones, but we went to Morningstar and basically found two of their gold-rated uh, value ETFs, and one is an iShares Core S&P U.S. value. Another one is Vanguard Mega Cap Value ETF. So those would be two possibilities for our audience. Excellent. Mark Cortazzo, thank you so much for joining us, as always, from Macro Consulting. We really enjoy having you on. It's a pleasure every time. Thank you so much, and uh, can't wait to see you live next time. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is add some bond alternatives to your portfolio. Interest rates are at historic lows. The Federal Reserve intends to keep them that way for the foreseeable future. Near retirees and actual retirees need alternative income sources. Among the possibilities are immediate annuities and deferred income annuities. Cortazzo mentioned structured notes. Dividend-paying stocks can provide capital appreciation and income growth. And, of course, maximizing Social Security benefits is a strategy that benefits all seniors. Go to WealthTrack.com for our most recent program on that with expert Mary Beth Franklin. Overcoming the risk of record low interest income has become an essential part of retirement planning. Next week, with the election drawing near, leading strategist Jason Trennert reviews the potential investment winners and losers. What, if anything, should you be doing? In this week's extra feature, Mark Cortazzo discusses permanent pandemic changes in his life. Please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.